Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. Have you ever found yourself wanting to improve yourself or your skills in some way, but unable to make meaningful progress, even though you know exactly what you need to do to improve? Like maybe you want to become a better sight reader and know that you ought to read through more music with friends, but keep making excuses or avoid situations that would involve sight reading. Or maybe you'd like to become more comfortable with public speaking and know that it would help to participate in a local Toastmasters group, but struggle to attend meetings and participate. Whether we ourselves are trying to grow in some way or trying to help our students improve in some area, it's pretty common to run into a lot of internal resistance. Because the fundamental challenge with personal growth is that it's really hard to know if we're actually growing or not in that moment. Like when you're reading through quartets with friends and quietly freaking out about having lost count of the rests and trying to figure out if you missed your entrance or not, how do you know if you're getting better? Because in the immediate present, it just feels really uncomfortable and awkward, right? There's no way to know if experiences like this are helping you become a more effective sight reader until days, weeks, or even months later. In other words, to quote the researchers whose work we'll look at today, the benefits are delayed and the costs are immediate. And the problem with delayed benefits is that we do need progress feedback, or some indication that we're making progress towards our goals, in order to have the motivation we need to keep putting ourselves in these uncomfortable situations. So is there anything we can do to stay motivated and persevere through the uncomfortable growth challenges that we must face on the path towards awesomeness? Well, progress feedback is usually something positive that lets us know we're headed in the right direction. But these researchers wondered, could discomfort be used too? Like, in the absence of any clear indication as to whether you're growing or not, Could the experience of discomfort itself be used as a sign that you are indeed making progress towards your goal and increase your motivation to continue? What backwards bizarroness is this, you ask? Well, let's take a closer look. A pair of researchers recruited 557 participants in 55 introductory-level improvisation classes at the Second City Training Center in Chicago to take place in a videotaped improv exercise. The exercise was called Give Focus, and it sounds a little like freeze tag, sort of. 
Basically, one person in each group has focus and gets to move around the room or make any physical movements or gestures they want to for however long they want while everybody else stays frozen. When the has focus person would like to pass that role to somebody else, they do so by communicating this non-verbally, like by pointing or nodding at someone, at which point they freeze and this new person has focus and is free to move around the room however they'd like to. Before the exercise began, each class was divided into smaller subgroups of three to seven participants, each of which was assigned to either a control condition or a seeking discomfort condition. The control groups were asked to pay attention to whether the exercise was working, like while you play, see if the exercise is working, or whether they felt they were developing new skills and improving. They were told, your goal for the next exercise is to feel yourself developing new skills. Developing new skills is a sign that the exercise is working. In the next game, your goal is to push yourself to develop new skills and feel yourself improving. On the other hand, the seeking discomfort participants were asked to focus more on doing things outside their comfort zone that deliberately made them feel awkward and uncomfortable. As in, your goal for this next exercise is to feel awkward and uncomfortable. Feeling uncomfortable is a sign that the exercise is working. In the next game, your goal is to push past your comfort zone and put yourself in situations that make you feel awkward and uncomfortable. So would there be any measurable differences in how they approached the exercise or how they felt about the experience afterwards? To find out, independent coders were asked to watch the videos and evaluate participants A, persistence, as in the total number of seconds that they held on to the focus role, and B, risk-taking, where one equals no risks, the student with focus is walking around like normal, four equals some risks, where the student is pushing the boundary somewhat, for instance, walking very fast or very slow or moving their arms around, and seven would equal many risks. For instance, the student is pushing the boundaries and doing something extremely out of the ordinary or going out on a limb. As the researchers suspected, participants who were encouraged to actively seek out discomfort did indeed spend more time holding on to focus, anywhere from like almost one and a half seconds to six seconds longer on average in each three-minute exercise. These seeking discomfort participants were also more likely to take risks than those in the control group. Plus, the seeking discomfort participants also seemed to feel like they accomplished more in the exercise than those who weren't encouraged to do things that felt uncomfortable. The researchers didn't measure this for all of the classes, but participants in one set of classes were asked to write down their goals for taking the improv class. And they wrote down things like improve communication skills or be more comfortable in front of others. And when asked to rate to what degree they felt they accomplished this goal afterwards, the seeking discomfort participants rated their sense of achievement as a 3.52 compared to a 2.68 for the control participants. And this is on a 0 to 6 scale, where 0 equals not at all and 6 equals very much. So what can we take away from all of this? Well, this study made me think of what it's like to exercise. Like if you go to the gym and a workout feels easy, you probably don't feel as good about it as a workout that feels more challenging and physically uncomfortable in the moment, but always in a good, like, feel-the-burn sort of way, rather than in a injury-waiting-to-happen sort of way, of course. So in the same way that we learn to embrace and enjoy a healthy dose of challenge when working out, maybe it could be gratifying and motivating to do so in other areas of our life in which we would like to grow as well. That said, 
I think it's important to note that participants in this exercise had the ability to choose their dosage of discomfort. They didn't have control over whether they were it or not, but they did have control over how far outside their comfort zone they went and how long they chose to stay there. For instance, they could engage in very safe movements if they wanted, or experiment with more unusual movements if they were feeling a little more courageous in the moment. They could also easily pass the focus on to somebody else immediately, or hold on longer if they were comfortable doing so. In other words, it's not like they were thrown on stage with a spotlight on them alone with no option to leave or escape the spotlight for a fixed period of time. So whether it's becoming more comfortable on stage, developing your sight reading skills, or mastering the art of small talk, see what happens if you make discomfort itself the goal, while still giving yourself permission to choose your own discomfort dosage. Like sight reading duos with a really good friend before sight reading quartets with strangers, or picking things to sight read that are just outside your comfort level rather than things with like five or six sharps and two plus ledger lines, where your goal is not just to sight read effectively, but to feel awkward and uncomfortable too. You can find links to this week's study and other related practice hacks at bulletproofmusician.com slash blog. You can also find a quick and dirty 30-second summary of the study on Instagram at bulletproofmusician. And if you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think would also enjoy experimenting with it during the coming week. Mm-hmm.